This morning I'd like you to open the Word of God to Philippians chapter 3. Today we're going to focus on verse 10 of Philippians chapter 3. Yet this morning, let's let's start at verse 9. Let's start at verse 8. Yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. May the Lord give us His grace and wisdom this morning as we look to Him and His Word. To the Apostle Paul and to each of us as believers, nothing compares to the excellency of knowing Christ as our Lord and Savior. Paul had many accomplishments Many things in his life that he had attained as a Jew, which many Jews would be extremely proud of. He says there, if anyone would have any reason to have great confidence in the flesh, then it would be me. Verse 5, he was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, and concerning the law, he was a Pharisee. He had studied under Gamaliel, remember, one of the greatest teachers in all of Israel. He had the credentials. And he says then in verse 6, concerning zeal, he was persecuting the church. He was a strict and stringent follower of the law, and as far as he was concerned, He was blameless in his attempts to keep the law. But then, after knowing Christ, after meeting the risen Lord on the road to Damascus, he began to understand that all of these things meant nothing to him in comparison of knowing the excellence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, all of these things that were gained to me in verse 7, now I see them as a complete loss in comparison to knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I count them in verse 8 as nothing but mere rubbish. The word could be translated dumb, filth, trash, in comparison in comparison to knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And how true that is for each of us. Not just in the religious realm as we think of the Apostle Paul, but in many realms as well. You remember years ago, 
Pistol Pete Maravich won the MVP in the NBA. I don't know if he won it more than one year or not. But that was his goal. That's what he wanted in life. And after he attained that goal, guess what? He was all the more depressed. Because he said, is this all there is to it? Until he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And he would say along with Apostle Paul, all this, even this great fame in sports amounts to nothing compared to him knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. What if your goal is to become wealthy? You become one who has millions of dollars, yet so many millionaires are hollow, shallow, if this is all that I have. I have it now, and what joy does it bring to me? Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And then there are those who seek after uh, leisure and pleasure and travel and all of these things, other and houses and lands and what have you. And so often is the case. I've been here, I've been there, I have this, I have that. I still feel hollow. Isn't there more to life? Solomon had it all, didn't he? And he surmised it all by saying, vanity of vanity. Everything is vanity a chasing after the wind. Yes, our life in Christ is more valuable than anything. It is more valuable than any kind of life that we can even or ever imagine. Thinking about our dear brother in Christ, Joel Tigreen, who is a missionary to Turkey. Suppose Joel's what in his late thirties, maybe early forties, a young man. Uh, his situation looks very bleak. Unless the Lord intervenes miraculously, please pray for Joel. Unless the Lord intervenes for him, he's not going to be with us much longer, as he has cancer. And I was so encouraged by an email that many of, of us received from Joel as he compared. His fleeting life, and life is fleeting, isn't it? Whether we live 20 years, 30 years, 59, 100 years. He quotes this verse, or read this verse. And in Psalm 103, you don't have to turn there. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him, and His righteousness to the children's children, as to such as keep His covenant, and to those who remember His commandment to do them. The Lord has established His throne in heaven and His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, you His angels, who excel in strength, who do His Word, heeding the voice of His Word. Bless the Lord, all ye His hosts, you who minister to Him, who do His pleasure. Bless the Lord, all His works in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. That was the words of Joel. In the midst of, in all probability, near the end of his life, and yet he gives God praise for his great mercy and his grace and his kindness. See, our life amounts to nothing in comparison with the goodness and the mercy and grace that God gives to us in his Son. And this is Paul's desire. Paul knows this. He was the cream of the crop, the, 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 the pinnacle 
of everything that Judaism required. He had met those requirements and was even, even persecuting Christians in his zeal, thinking that he was being faithful to God. Now that he comes to know Christ and realizes all this other stuff amounted to nothing, it's just done. What was his desire? His desire was this. Look in verse 9. Paul said, and I desire, first of all, let me say this. We're going to look at two things here before we begin. First of all, we're going to look at the objective nature of what Paul desired. He says that I want to be found in Him not having my own righteousness. That's what he had when he was a Pharisee, right? Trying to attain the law. Self-righteousness. I don't want that. I don't want some vain feeling that I get from the law that I've measured up. Because if we truly look at the law, we realize we, we haven't measured up, right? The law is a schoolmaster to bring us, Christ, bring us to Christ to show us our sins. No, he says... But what I desire is the righteousness which is from God through faith. Paul says, in reality, I want to know this. And he had this. He had this righteousness of God which is by faith. Now, if you're still with me and you're planning on sleeping the rest of the sermon, listen to what, what, what you need. If you're here without Christ, this should be this is your greatest need. Because you can't measure up in your own righteousness. You must, must have this righteousness, this perfection of Christ that is given to us, that is imputed to us when we have faith in Christ. This objective uh, accounting righteousness that God gives to us when we believe. When, when God looks at us, when we trust in Christ, He gives us this righteousness. He gives us the very merits of Jesus Himself. The perfection of Christ is given to us so that we can have the very righteousness of Christ. Paul said, I, don't, I want to be found. I want to know for sure that the righteousness of Christ is my righteousness. That I'm covered completely by His holy life. Okay, that's the objective righteousness of Christ which we must have if we are going to heaven. This righteousness which is by faith. Then Paul, in verse 10, that's what we're going to be looking at today, this relationship that Paul desired more than anything else, this subjective relationship. And he says that in verse 10, his great desire that I may know Him. Now the word there in the original text does not simply mean a head knowledge. It's a knowledge that relates to our relationship and our experience with it. Our, our personal uh, relation with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what Paul is saying. I want to know Him. I want to know about Christ working in my life. I want to learn of His character. I want to learn of His nature. I want to experience the very depths of this rich salvation which I have experienced in Christ. That's what we sang about this morning, wasn't it? And we sang more about Jesus. More about Jesus, let me learn. More of His holy will discern. Spirit of God, my teacher be, showing the things of Christ to me. That was Paul's desire. I want to know Him in, his, in an intimate relationship with Him. Because it's only through this experiential relationship 
with Christ, our hope is, our hope grows, and God gives to us that sustaining grace. That should be the desire of our hearts. To know Him. Now, notice what He does not say here. He does not say, I want to know more about Him. You know, I want to master the facts about Jesus. I want to become the best theologian in the world. I want to just astound people with my biblical knowledge. Well, study theology. Learn all you can. But see, there's danger there. Because knowledge puffs up and makes us proud. That's not what Paul said. He had already had all of the academic that he could imagine, right? But now he's just saying, I want to know Christ. I want to relate with Him. I want to experience the fellowship of the Spirit in my relationship to Christ. <clears throat> For example, If I, I want to pick on my wife Robin. If I want to know Robin, let's just say, for example, that I haven't been married to her for almost 30 years. And I want to get to know her. So I pick up this biography, The Life of Robin. <laughs> and I begin to read that biography. I read about her birth. I read about her childhood, her adolescence, her adult life. I read about the education that she's accrued, her, degree, her degrees, the friends that she has, her church life, her interests, her hobbies, her temperament. And I look at hundreds of pictures about her from birth to the present. Wow, you know, I can say, well, I know a lot about this woman, you know. I, I may, yeah, but, but guess what? I don't know her. I'm not in a union with her. But now, since we've been married near 30 years, we are in a one flesh union with one another. And we know each other pretty well. <laughs> Sometimes I think she knows me too well. You know, we're at the point where we, we think each other's thoughts. We finish each other's sentences before we're done. She gets angry at me. She'll start sentencing. I'll finish what she's going to say because I know what she's going to say. You know, we know each other that well. Uh, but, you know, that's what marriage is. It's a one flesh union where we get to know and, and experience her. Not just picking up her body. I don't know where I read all about her. No, that's not the issue. It's becoming, growing in relationship. Walking through life with her. Doing life together. As husbands and wives are heirs together in the grace of life that God bestows. We are in relationship with one another. This is, I think, what Paul is saying here. I want to know Christ in His fullness. But yet many who were following Christ at one point in their lives. You know, they had done various things. They have, uh, they had, at some point, they had cast out demons. They had uh, prophesied. They had done wonders. But Jesus will say to me in that day, I never knew you, even though they referred to Him as their Lord. Why is that? Because they really didn't do the will of God. They were engaged in some type of facade in their so-called quote ministry, but there was no real evidence in their life. There was no real fruit. There was no truly doing the will of God. And Jesus will say to many in that day, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Paul's desire 
the very thing that was Paul's very goal was that he might know Christ. In verse 10, we're given three very clear aspects of the life of Christ and how we might know Him. You know, we think about what is really the key to our spiritual growth. Well, there's this book out, you know, it's just five laws to deep spirituality. You know, we read these books. We go to these conferences. We learn about from hearing this preacher, this pastor, you know, this scholar. And we think, wow, this, you know, this, this is it. This is the key. But brothers and sisters, that's not the key. The key is right here in this text. The key is that we learn to live daily in the Gospel. To emulate the Lord Jesus Christ. As many sages as in the past have said, we need to be preaching the Gospel to ourselves continually. So this is what we're going to be talking about today. And it's this right here. Christ's redemptive experiences are to be duplicated by us as Christians. Really simple. We'll say it again. That's what, what the message today is about. Christ's redemptive experiences are to be duplicated by the Christian day in and day out. Paul said when he wrote to the church at Corinth, this very fact, and this is what he majored on, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and was buried, and the third day He rose again from the dead. That's what the Christian life is all about. It's living out figuratively what Jesus has done for us. Well, what has Jesus done for us? Paul said that he desires to know the power of the resurrection, number one, the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death. First of all, Paul says, I desire to live in, to experience the power of the resurrection. Now, first of all, you say, well, why does Paul bring that out first? You would think that Paul might mention, first of all, the sufferings, then the death, then the resurrection on chronological order. But think about it this way. Paul is, Paul is writing in the present tense right now. Where was Christ? He was the raised and resurrected Lord. And Paul was in relationship with Him. Therefore, Paul says, right now, I want to experience Him as He is. In, in His glory of, of His resurrection and the power that He displays right now. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 11, the Scripture says, But if the Spirit of God, but if the Spirit of Him, God, who raised up Jesus from the dead, dwells in you, and the Spirit of God does dwell in you, if you believe the Gospel, you're a child of God. If that Spirit that dwells in you, who also raised up Christ from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. That if anyone has not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of him. We have the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God is in us to give life to us, to give power to us, to give strength to us, 
to give us the grace that we've been talking about in the first hour to bear fruit, fruit that will last in order that we might bring much fruit to glorify God. Our desire, Paul's desire to live in the power of the resurrection. Look in, uh, flip over to Colossians. Next book over, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, just as Christ was raised from the dead, even so we who have believed and been raised up from the dead spiritually, we're, we're, we're new in Christ. We were raised with Christ. Seek those things which are above where Christ is seating at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We are to live in accordance with that realm in which we've been placed. We've been raised up with Christ. We have defeated death, spiritual death. Look in Colossians chapter 1. In verse 11, this is Paul's prayer for the church at Colossae that they would walk worthy of the Lord, being fruitful in the things of God, increasing in the knowledge of God. Then he says in verse 11, that we might be strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. What's the word there? We will be strengthened by the resurrected power of Christ that is in us, that we might live a godly life. And he mentions three of the nine fruits of the spirits here: in patience and long suffering and joy. Now let's turn our Bibles to Ephesians chapter one. Again, a prayer of Paul this time for the church at Ephesus. His prayer for them in verse 19 is that they would know what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe. What is that power like? According to the working of His mighty power which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places. The same power of God that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that raised us from the dead. And made us new. And seated us in the heavenly places. Well, past tense. We took the time to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. That we are in Christ. We've been raised with Christ. We've given this, been given the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And that power is in us. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Now unto Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work in us. You see, there's the potential, the power that we have in Christ. But yet we have to appropriate this power day in and day out. This morning we talked about so often times. We focus upon ourselves. What I'm not. What I'm not doing. How I have not attained to this place in my Christian life where I want to be. And we spend so much time thinking at ourselves, and yet we don't look to Him. 
It's not about us. It's about looking to Him day in and day out, appropriating His love, appropriating His grace. Why don't we do it more? More about Jesus would I learn. See, this was Paul's desire to, to walk in, to live in this power of the resurrection. Yes, we are related to Christ in this matter. We are in union with Him in His resurrection. Paul used the analogy in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Don't take the time to turn there. Just read it to you. It talks about the fact that even Christ Himself was weak in His humanity. And He was crucified. But He now lives according to the power of God. And then Paul makes this analogy. Even so, in a like manner, we also that are weak in the flesh, we're dying, but we too live by the same power of God. So Paul could say, when I am weak, then am I made strong. So our faith does not rest in the wisdom of men or what we can do or worrying about what we can't do, but our faith rests in the power of God. This should be our desire. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. The Scripture says that in 2 Peter chapter 1 that God has given to us His divine, His divine power has been given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through our knowledge of Him. And again, that's not just a, a head knowledge. It's through our uh, the knowledge of knowing Him, of experiencing Him by the One who called us by His glory and virtue. His divine power is given to the, us these things. All things that pertain to life and to godliness. And you say, well, now you're thinking. Seems like He's kind of bordering on mysticism. You know, There's a focus on, on that. But folks, listen. The Word of God talks about the fact that we are in a dynamic union with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a physical union, is it? Like we have with family members. No, it's a spiritual union. We, we are referred, referred to as Christians in an organic sense in our relationship to Christ. That we are His body in a living organism, an entity that exists. We, therefore, need to be in communion with Him, do we not? To experience this power of the resurrection. What a, what a glorious thing this is. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 29 says, For whom God did foreknow, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that we might be among the firstborn of the brethren. You see, in eternity past, this is so glorious, in eternity past, God had in His mind this union that Christ had with His people. Well, nobody here can understand that. But this union in Christ was decreed. God saw us in Christ, His people, functioning with the head Christ with this body. It was decreed in eternity past. And then Christ came to this, this earth 
And He accomplished the salvation of all of us, all of those that would believe in Him. And then at some point in our life, if we're believers, we believe the Gospel. And uh, this was a, this truth, the salvation was applied to our hearts. Now, I was going to mention this later on in the, in the message. I'm going to mention it now. All the different ways that we are in union with Christ. We see this in this first point that we've been raised with Christ. We, we with, along with the Apostle Paul, we desire to work in the, to walk in the power of the resurrection. But we are in union with Christ in His suffering, which we'll see. We're in union with Christ in the crucifixion. We have died with Christ. We have been buried in Christ. We are alive with Christ in that union. We're joint heirs together with Christ. We've been raised up with Christ in Christ. We have been we have been glorified here. Uh, Ephesians, or Romans chapter eight and verse thirty. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called, and those he called, he justified, and those he justified, he also passed hence glorified. You see, this this union is a work of God in eternity past, which becomes a present reality when we embrace Christ. So we're glorified in Christ. We are also enthroned in Christ. We also now reign in Christ through this glorious union that we have in Christ. I see some of you taking notes. If you want all the verses pertaining to this union, see me after the worship service. You see, this is the, the, the glory of this union that we have in Christ. What's the Christian life? It's living out. Living out this the, the, the union that we have in Christ. Now, Paul's desire was to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. And then secondly, to have fellowship in the suffering of Christ. Now what is Paul talking about here? Well, I think he clarifies it really well Flip back over to uh, Colossians. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 24. Paul said, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, you church at Colossae, and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of His body, which is the church. Now, what is he saying here? Does Paul just enjoy suffering for the sake of suffering? Absolutely not. But he's saying here, I am filling up in my human existence, in my flesh, what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Is, it, is he saying then that there was something that was left out in the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ? Absolutely not. But what he is saying here is that his work in the ministry was a continuation of the very sufferings that Christ endured when He was upon this earth. And that He, as a, poor, a member of the body of Christ, as we are, are continuing that suffering ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't relate to it. Completely can't. 
Absolutely not. We think of what He suffered. We think of the horror of Gethsemane when He prayed, not My will be done, but Your will be done. Because He knew that very soon He was to be separated from His Father. We can't even conceive of that. How can there be separation within the Trinity? But for that horrible time when God was to make Christ who knew no sin to be sin for us, there was separation within the Trinity. And God poured out His holy wrath on His Son, the wrath that you deserve, the wrath that I deserve. Jesus knew what was coming. And He said, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from Me. What was that cup? Well, this very thing. It was the cup of God's wrath. Oh, what, what, what the horror of it was. You know. We think of the horror that He suffered physically on the cross. I don't want to diminish that, but it doesn't even compare to the spiritual horror of being separated from His Father and the sins of His people being poured out upon Him. As a, as a human, even as a perfect human, if there's any other way, let this cut past you. Not, 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 not what I desire, Father, but what You desire. So like a sheep before its shears is done, He didn't open His mouth and He went to the cross. And there, in accordance with Isaiah 53, He received undeserved oppression and shame, ridicule, and chastisement. But He did the will of God. A hymn that we love to sing here in this fellowship, stricken, smitten, and afflicted. Those words are taken from Isaiah 53 and verse 4. See Him dying on the tree. Tell me you who hear Him groaning, was there ever grief like this? Friends through, through fear, friends through fear, His cause disowned. Those that were His friends, even His disciples, through fear fled away. None stood beside Him. Foes were insulting Him in His distress. Many hands were raised to wound Him. None would interpose to save. But the deepest stroke that pierced Him was the stroke that justice gave. And that was Him suffering under the justice of God. So you see, Paul said that I want to enter in with the fellowship of this suffering. Now how can we relate to that? How many of you want to suffer? How many of you would say, yeah, Jesus suffered, sign me up. Give me all the suffering that I can stand, you see. Is that what He's saying? No, you know, sometimes the, the mystic or the ascetic had such of a mindset when he, he says, you know, if I bring enough pain upon myself that I can relate to the sufferings of Christ. That if I endure a certain amount of harsh elements, go without food and water, place myself in isolation, or maybe even 
quit myself, I can relate to the sufferings of Christ. This self-flagellation that occurred by some in the past. If, if I can experience terrible pain, then maybe I can mortify my flesh and get closer to Christ. Is that what Paul is saying? Absolutely not. You see, no matter what we do to ourselves, causing ourselves to suffer in a physical sense, that's not in and of itself going to bring us closer to Christ. Because we have to mortify not our physical flesh, we've got to mortify the deeds of this flesh, this, this, un, this, this earthly desires that are still present within us, within us, the remnants of the old man. That's what Paul is talking about when he's talking about the mortifi- mortification of flesh. So how do we relate with Christ in the fellowship of His Son? Well, first of all, in a very general sense, let's think about it like this. You're on this earth. You experience sorrow. You experience pain. You experience hardship. Well, Christ left the glories of heaven, an unbroken, perfect, eternal love relationship with the Father, and He came to this earth, and the Bible says He's experienced everything like we have. He was tempted in all ways like we are tempted Yet, He was without sin. And because of that, He has now become for us a faithful advocate, a faithful high priest who can sympathize with what we have suffered. So in the sense, by, uh, by, by just being human, you know, He came and experienced that, and now we can relate with Him in the midst of that suffering, that He understands what it's like to be human, and we can relate with Him. And He has borne our sufferings, and therefore we have some concept that, hey, there's one that sympathizes with us in our, in our trial. That's, that's the first in the general way. But the main way, what the Scripture is talking about here, is simply suffering for Christ as we are in the realm of our Christian service and our living unto Him. That's what Paul is talking about. Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. In verse 27, Let your conduct be worthy of the Gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or am absent, that I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the Gospel. Be unified in your service to Christ. Look at verse 28. And not in any way being terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. Okay, in, in your service, in your ministry before the Lord, you're going to have some opposition. He says there, first of all, that when you have this, two signs are going to occur. Because they oppose you, because they despise the truth, because they are, are insulting you or whatever, then that is a proof that they do not know God and that they are under the judgment of God and that perdition 
waits them the judgment of God. But it also, there's another sign or another proof here that you as a child of God, as you experience this trial, this tribulation, this suffering, and you stand firm and you're not terrified by them, then that is a proof that you are a child of God, that you are saved. And you experience this, this, this power of the resurrection, this fellowship of His suffering, it simply comes along with the course, does it not? It's not that we, we seek this out just to suffer because He suffered, but we are willing and they, we desire to walk as He walked, just as we desire to walk in the power of the resurrection, to perfectly emulate the Lord Jesus Christ and all the experience. If it involves suffering, so be it. Then we glory in that too, as well. Isn't that what Jesus said? In Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute, persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets that were before you. If that's what happens, praise God. Uh, as the apostles went forth, Peter and John were beaten. They gloried in the fact that they were counted worthy to suffer reproach for the sake of Christ. Yes, it's part of the part of the package. Think of the children of Israel when they were about ready to take the Passover meal. There was the roasted lamb. Oh yes, give me some of the roasted lamb. There's the unleavened bread. I'll take that. It's a picture that I want to do away with sin in my life. Okay? Ah, no. Here, oh, here's the bitter herbs. Ah, I don't think I wanted the bitter herbs. I'll pass them in. No. You've got to partake of the bitter herbs too, you see. The suffering comes along. Remember those hardships which you had experienced in Egypt. So that you can give God the praise. Suffering, yes, it's a part of the big picture. John said, Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Remember what Jesus said to Ananias? As he sent him to the Apostle Paul after his recent conversion, Ananias was. A little afraid because he had heard of all the persecution that Paul was doing to the church. But Jesus said to Ananias, Go to him, for I must show him what great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul to Timothy, All that desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Keep your place there in Philippians and turn with me, if you will, to 1 Peter. You see, we just we do not suffer just for suffering's sake. But if we are to suffer, Peter says, verse 12, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing 
happen to you. But rejoice to the extent do you partake in Christ's sufferings. There it is. That when His glory is revealed, you also may be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So if we suffer, we're going to suffer because we're engaged with Christ. We are living in the power of the resurrection. If suffering is part and parcel with it, we embrace it and we do not shun from it. We're not terrified by our adversaries, but we rejoice with exceeding glory and rejoice as did Peter and John that we are now embracing this time of suffering. You know, we in the United States, the church in the United States, really really have a little bit of difficulty dealing with this. Don't we? we really don't understand it. We don't understand... Uh, what it is to live in an environment where the government is by and large against you and where even in the, in the New Testament sense of, the, of this thing, the Jewish people were against the believers. They had so much opposition. You see, Look at all the opposition that Jesus had in the Gospels. That's what the New Testament is replete with. The, the persecution, the resistance that we see in the book of Acts. Five of the epistles of Paul were written while he was in prison. And then you have uh, three other books in the Bible that were written to Christians that were dispersed, that were persecuted because of their faith. So oftentimes, if we would desire to be a disciple of Christ, we should not only desire to live in the fullness and power of the Spirit, but also to embrace that suffering which might come with it. And who knows what we have to face us in the future. With many in the United States desiring that we become more of a globalistic country, Many in the church are falling away from the true faith. Many people in our nation as well as government officials are embracing perversion as the norm. And if you don't like it, be quiet. See? We're not very popular, are we, as Christians? And we're getting more and more unpopular. And there's much anger for those who would say that there's such a thing as truth. And they get more and more angry when they say, when we say God's Word has a standard from which we're to live on here. So who knows what's coming? But God give us the grace to be strong in Christ and to embrace the sufferings, to, to be living in, to encounter with, to be engaged in the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul said if if we endure, we shall also reign with him. But in the midst of persecution and trial, we can say this in the presence of God there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And that portion of Psalm twenty three which says, In the presence of mine enemies you prepare a table before me. His provision, His presence, His grace 
is always with us. And then praise God, whatever comes, we can say, for I reckon that the sufferings of this age are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul's desire was to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. And then lastly, in our text in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, that last section, and also to be conformed to His death. Brother Dave read this text for us in Philippians chapter 2. Again, Christ is the perfect pattern in His resurrection, in His sufferings, and in His death. So Paul says to the Philippian believers in verse 5, let this mindset be yours. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. See, there you, you have it again. What's the Christian life? The Christian life is emulating the Lord Jesus Christ in all of His experiences. Okay? In His life, in His death, in His sufferings, in His resurrection. Let this mind be in you. Christ, who being in the very form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God because He was God of very God, eternal, coexistent, co-eternal, consubstantial with the Father, oneness with God. But yet, this is what He did in verse 7. He made Himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of of men and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death on the cross as we approach the christmas season i wish i could speak so loudly and clear that all the world would know and hear that christ did not begin in a manger he began there's no, he had no beginning he was eternal with the father in the heavens and yet he came down from heaven which no other pseudo-prophet or Messiah can claim. He's the only one that came down from heaven. He took upon Himself the appearance of the man, came in the likeness of men, and became obedient to the very point of death, even the death on the cross. We emulate Christ. Christ came to this earth, humbled Himself, became sin for us, in order that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And therefore, we, we desire also to relate with Him in this matter. Just as Christ came to die for us, we also die daily. We die to our sin. We die to ourselves. That what, what Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 10 and 11. <clears throat> for the death that He died... He died once to sin, once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. Likewise also, consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, to selfishness, to my way, dead to that, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. John said, in his epistle, his first epistle. By this we know love, because He, Christ, laid down His life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You see, we want to emulate Christ in His death.
Father, it's not my will, but Your will be done. Lord, I want to die to myself. Save me from me. Save me from my sin. Save me from me going my own way. Lord God, help me to do Your will. We have many, some of you young people are debating right now, trying to figure out what you're going to do in life. I would encourage you to follow some kind of occupation that will allow you to mix with people, to meet other people's needs so that you can bear fruit for the Kingdom of God. So that you can live out this dying to self, being alive to God. So, again, what's the secret? Or is there a secret to the Christian life? It's the clear Gospel. That Christ came to this earth. He suffered and He died and He rose again. And you say, well, those, those are glorious truths. No, that's your truth. That's our truth right now. That's the Christian life. We live the Gospel. That's what we're called to do. To live out this Gospel. To live Christ. Day in and day out. In the power of His resurrection. Embracing the fellowship of His sufferings. And like Him, being conformed to Him even in His death. You see, that's, that's our life. Our life is Christ. Our life is hidden with God in Christ. That union that was in the mind of God in eternity past is being worked out in you in the body of Christ right now. There's not any more to it than that. We live in Him. He is in us. And then Paul says finally in verse 11, and if by any means, not that he's doubting here, but he has this concern, just as he is involved with Christ, he is continuing with Christ, he's living Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, that he might also attain to, yes, the literal, physical resurrection of the dead. And this is our final hope. That here in this life, that we live in Christ. We walk in His power of the resurrection. We, yes, embrace the fellowship of His servants, of, of, of His sufferings. And yes, we conform to His very death. We do this. It's part of our life. And then someday, that's going to find its final fruition when our bodies will be raised to live with Christ and we will reign with Him forever and ever. For if we have died with Him, we shall also reign with Him. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank You for Your Word this morning. And pray, Lord, that these verses would be indelibly imprinted into our mind. That the Christian life is Christ Himself. That we would embrace Him. Oh God, please, Give us this passion to know You as Paul had this desire. To know Christ in the power of His resurrection, in the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His very death. That Your power might rest upon us. That we might go forth, please You, Lord, and bear fruit that will last. We pray in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.